Thank you for watching NTD Business coming up tonight. Elon Musk finally completes his deal with Twitter. What's ahead for the social media company? We have analysis. Wages in America rose quickly in the most recent quarter. Will this hurt the Fed's effort to fight inflation? We speak to multiple economists. And Amazon stock falls to a two-year low after a weak forecast for the holidays. How much has Wall Street lost because of it? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Elon Musk now owns Twitter. He tweeted, the bird is freed after completing the $44 billion acquisition. Twitter will be delisted from the New York Stock Exchange on November 8th. Musk began the ownership with immediate firings of top executives. He fired Twitter's chief executive officer, chief financial officer, and legal affairs and policy chief. He says he'll be digging into alleged shadow banning on the platform from today. Here's Wedbush analyst Dan Ives. So the easy part was buying Twitter. The hard part's going to be fixing it. Now, how does he change the platform? Freedom of speech. Does he let Trump back on? What the headcount cuts look like? These are some of the questions that Musk ultimately will answer over the coming weeks. Musk's plans for Twitter are ambitious, to say the least. He said yesterday that he wants Twitter to be the most respected advertising platform in the world. Musk says Twitter will create a content moderation panel made up of widely diverse people. Nobody will be unbanned before then. Musk said previously he would reverse Twitter's ban on former President Donald Trump. And Trump today said he was happy Twitter was in, quote, sane hands. Though he did say today that he will stay on his own social media platform, Truth Social. Meanwhile, Kanye West's Twitter profile, which was suspended for posting controversial remarks, appeared to be back on the platform. Musk said Twitter did it before he took over. It seems Musk won't be able to change Twitter without fundamental changes at the company. Text messages involving Musk suggest he's considering mass layoffs. And today, CNBC reported an entire team of data engineers were let go. This is going to be very difficult. Culturally, Musk and Twitter, exact opposites. And I think it's going to take time here. He's going to fire a lot of people. Yeah, I think there's a start of much broader layoffs at Twitter. It could be 30 to 50%. We've seen as high as 75, and that's extreme. But there's going to be significant headcount cuts ahead. And Musk's free speech makeover plans don't have everyone excited, it seems. The European Commission reiterated today that Twitter still has to abide by EU rules. And now joining us live to talk about Musk and Twitter is Jason Miller. He's the CEO of the fastest growing social media platform, Getter. Now, Jason, Musk has said he he wants to restore free speech on Twitter. Tell me, what obstacles is he facing? Well, thank you very much for having me. Great to be back with you. I think there's a fundamental thing that everybody needs to pay attention to, and that's the fact that Elon Musk has just spent the last six months absolutely trashing Twitter, whether it be the algorithms, whether it be the bots, uh, whether it be the the hellscape, so to speak, of the negativity that occurs on the platform. So I think Elon Musk would rather be anywhere in the country right now other than San Francisco dealing with Twitter. He wanted out of the deal. He's being stuck in the deal. Uh, I also think that when it comes to a litmus test on actually implementing some of these free speech changes, 
it's great that, uh, again, for free speech, and I'm not uh, condoning his comments, that he went and took action with Kanye West. But what about President Donald Trump? And why does President Trump have to go to some sort of external review committee before he's let back in? This sounds very Zuckerberg, very Facebook to me. And I, I know you're a competitor, competitor to Twitter. You're not just saying these things because of this, right? Well, obviously, Getter was launched in large part because Twitter has been exercising political discrimination to pick winners and losers in the free speech marketplace. And I think that for someone who supports free speech, of course, I want to see Elon Musk go and bring about some aspect of sanity to Twitter, even if it's a marketplace opponent. I think Twitter's challenge and where Getter has really found their opening and where we've been able to advance is that we've realized that content is king. The innovation is absolutely paramount to anything else that you're doing. We've added features, we've added new users. We're at six and a half million, uh, over 100% growth this calendar year. Twitter's never innovated. Twitter's still stuck in effectively the same platform that they've been for the last 16 years. And so when it comes to free speech, I applaud anything that starts moving in the right direction. Let's make sure that some of those changes are actually happening though. Any, anything you see Musk uh, capable of, of doing to turn this around? Well, ultimately, I don't think that Twitter can be saved. I think that, first of all, it's boring. It's just no longer an exciting platform. Uh, as I said, they failed to innovate. There's just not much content there. But also the business model is very upside down. Now, Musk is obviously overpaying for it. He admitted that um, at the uh, the $54 a share, the $45 billion, so he's taking it private. But Musk has said that they will need to quadruple the number of daily active users to get to the profitability point that he wants to be. That's why Musk was out there saying, oh, we need to get President Obama, Justin Bieber back, try to get those daily active users up. They're not gonna grow by 1.5X, let alone 4X, if they're not actually making changes and they're not innovating. But there's, you know, the one other thing that I'd be very concerned about though, is I have a real issue with Twitter, which is effectively the digital town square. Uh, when we talk about the global town square, being in the hands of someone where there are a lot of issues about what his ties are to China and how much pressure he is under, uh, especially having the Tesla plant uh, in Shanghai. And also we saw his recent comments about, well, maybe Taiwan just needs to roll over and play dead uh, for the CCP. Uh, that's, uh, I have an issue with that. I, I want to talk about another point that you mentioned earlier. You mentioned content. Now, and this goes uh, hand in hand with moderation. How do you have free speech uh, on a social media platform? Let me give you an example. If I call a biological male who identifies as a female, I call this person a he. The person might, might not agree with this pronoun. They might call it verbal abuse. And abuse is not protected by the First Amendment, right? So how would you balance that? Well, obviously in each situation, you need to look at the context, the way that it's delivered. Uh, what we try to use as our North Star is making sure that someone's political viewpoint is never infringed upon. Of course, we have rules in place to make sure that illegal content is not allowed, to make sure that threatening commentary or uh, things that would get you in trouble in real life are not allowed. We also don't go with, uh, we don't allow you to use racial or religious epithets. But when it comes to a basic fact of saying someone who was born a man is a man or someone who's born a woman is a woman, that's very much your political belief. And we do not believe that that is uh, some sort of abuse towards someone just because they happen to now pick another pronoun or have had a surgery of some or something of that sort.
And on the point of disinformation, Musk said today that Twitter will be forming a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. Now, if I present studies that show uh, the climate crisis is fake or, or maybe it's real, would that be moderated? How would you tackle that? Great question. So everything ultimately is moderated or look at through the lens of whether it's the, the API, um, the AI on the front end, um, or whether it's on the back end with moderators. So everything and everyone who posts ultimately gets, uh, at least goes through an AI filter at one point. Uh, but when it comes to your political position, which again, on say the climate change, whether uh, you want to say that it's, uh, that it's real or it's not real, or you have different perspectives on global warming, uh, that's your political viewpoint. That is not something that's threatening. That is not something that's, that's misinformation. That's your political viewpoint. Now, if you came out and said something such as the election has been moved, the midterms are now actually going to be Monday, November 7th. That's different. Is that something that could interfere Absolutely. with someone's voting rights? And that would be something that we would take action on. Right. Uh, but if your opinion, whether it be on pronouns or climate change, things of that nature, that's your political opinion. Right. And it, uh, look, there's no rule that says you have to necessarily be polite on right. social media. Mm -hmm. um, not right. everybody discusses right. those issues, but uh, let's separate out political opinions from threatening behavior. All right. Thank you very much. Jason Miller, CEO of Getter. Pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. And Apple surprised Wall Street yesterday with better than expected revenues and profits. It's a bright spot in the tech sector hit by spending cutbacks due to inflation. Apple's fourth quarter was saved by its Mac computers, while its star, the iPhone, stumbled. Mac sales were better than estimates, and though iPhone sales were not as strong as expectations. There was still a record, though, for, for the September quarter. Overall, the tech giant said quarterly revenue rose 8%. But a different story for Amazon. Amazon stock fell nearly 7% today after tumbling 17% yesterday. This came after the retail and technology heavyweight projected a holiday slump that would leave current quarter sales below Wall Street estimates. NTD Char Marshall has more. For $200 billion, the U.S. stock market value was wiped out of trading on Thursday after a string of declines coming from the tech industry was added to by Amazon in their weak earnings report. Continuing the song of worries about the health of the global economy as central banks raise interest rates in a battle against inflation. We aim to strike the right balance between investing for our customers for the long term while driving operational efficiency improvements and accomplishing more with less. When faced with an uncertain economy or some kind of discontinuous event, customers tend to double down on companies that they believe have the best customer experience and that take care of them the best. And that is where our efforts remain focused. Retailing has a number of pitfalls that can pop up. Through the first nine months of this year, more than $8 billion in losses chewed up nearly half of the operating profit generated by Amazon Web Services. We have uh, seen inflation in our uh, wages this year, and particularly our tech employees, and it's uh, heavily concentrated in AWS. Um, so that's one element of it. Um, we're also seeing energy costs uh, that are uh, materially higher than they had been pre-pandemic. Um, electricity and, and the impact of natural gas pricing. So uh, those prices, you know, up more than 2x over the last couple of years. But there were some winners on Thursday. Pinterest surged 12% after the social media platform reported a higher than expected quarterly revenue, while Intel climbed 6% despite forecasting annual revenue below analyst estimates. 
showing that lower-than-expected revenue reports don't always predict stock market events. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And high prices at the pump for us, record-setting profits for oil companies. Earnings totaled nearly $19 billion. ExxonMobil's profit set a record for the second straight quarter as oil and gas prices remain high. Almost tripled from a year ago. Meanwhile, the number two U.S. oil company, Chevron, also posted much better-than-expected results, nearly double what it made a year ago. And the European Union struck a deal yesterday to pretty much ban the sale of new gas and diesel cars from 2035. The goal here is to speed up the switch to electric vehicles to combat climate change. Car makers must now achieve a 100% cut in CO2 emissions by 2035. That would make it pretty much impossible to sell new fossil fuel-powered vehicles in the EU. Volkswagen said this week that from 2033, the brand will only produce electric cars in Europe. The European Car Industry Association warned against a ban on specific technology. It called for internal combustion engines and hydrogen vehicles to play a role in the low-carbon transition. And on Wall Street, stocks rallied today, with the Dow posting its fourth week of gains in a row. It added 829 points, or 2 and 6 tenths of a percent. S&P 500 rose 94 points, or 2 and a half percent. The Nasdaq gained 310 points, or 2 and 9 tenths of a percent. Inflation data shows that U.S. prices were still uncomfortably high last month. That's despite aggressive action from the Fed to rein in inflation. New data out today shows the PCE price index, which measures prices paid by consumers, rose 0.3% in September. And year-over-year, it increased 6.2%, the same as August. The so-called core PCE price index, which doesn't count food or energy prices, increased 5.1%. This is the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, and it's still far from the Fed's 2% target. So prices still rising, but workers are also getting paid more. New data out today shows workers' wages and benefits in September were 5% higher than they were last year. It's good news, of course, for the workers, but some are concerned it might drive prices even higher. So then, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? We asked Stockton University finance professor Michael Bustler if higher wages mean higher inflation. It does for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> so rising wages, uh, excluding the effects of inflation, rising wages uh, give consumers more money to spend. As they have more money to spend, that increases demand in the economy, and that uh, increased demand will tend to lead to high, higher prices. The Federal Reserve says raising wages are contributing to inflation, and it wants to do something about it. It's trying to slow down the economy and slow down the wage increases. It says this will help lower prices, although not everyone agrees. Besides that, Bustler says there's another reason higher wages led to higher prices. When businesses have to pay workers more, they may raise prices on their products and services to maintain their profit. That means higher prices for you at the store. This is a pretty mainstream view of the connection between wages and inflation, but not everyone agrees. We spoke with one economist who stands against the mainstream view. We asked Brian Dimitrovic of the Laffer Center the same question. Do rising wages contribute to inflation? No, I don't, I don't think rising wages uh, 
hurt any kind of fight in, against inflation at all. In fact, rising wages indicate quite the opposite. Rising wages indicate that workers are becoming more productive. And it indicates that people will save more than they spend at the margin, because that's what people do when they get more money for what they've been doing. They have an increasing uh, propensity to save on the margin. And so therefore, savings will lead to more production. Also, increasing wages will draw more and more people into the workforce. Dmitrovic works very closely with famous economist Arthur Laffer, who's known as the father of supply-side economics. Supply and demand are the two major parts of the inflation formula. Right now, the Fed is trying to fight inflation by bringing down demand. It's raising interest rates, which hurts business activity and slows the economy down, potentially into a recession. People will be poorer, which means they'll buy less. And buying less is another way of saying there's less demand. And less demand leads to lower prices. It sounds harsh, but many believe feeling the pain now will lead to a better future. But Dmitrovic believes making people poorer is wrong. I am entirely opposed to any effort that seeks to reduce economic growth. I mean, the idea that economic growth causes inflation is simply preposterous. Uh, there should be more supply of goods and services if you want to f- solve an inflation problem, because inflation is you know the price of goods over the amount of goods. Uh, so you just you want to increase the supply of goods. So you should you know free up the economy versus less regulation. So the idea is, instead of hurting the demand side, which means making people poorer to lower prices, Dmitrovic says we should grow the supply side. More goods and services in the economy means that prices will eventually go down. He says allowing wages to go higher will encourage more people to work and produce more things. Moving on, it looks like Americans are desperate to protect their wealth against inflation. Demand for a special inflation-proof government bond was so high this week, the Treasury Department's website crashed. The special bonds are called I-bonds. The annual return you get on your investment depends on how high inflation is. And because inflation is so high right now, you get a 9.6% rate. Well, that's if you're able to sign up before midnight because the website crashed, so some investors may not be locked into the high rate. After midnight, the rate will fall to around 6%. If you invest in I-bond, you, sh- you can't cash it out for at least a year, and it takes about five years to get the total amount of interest. You can go to treasury.gov for more information. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come after the break, with expensive holiday flights around the corner, we take a look at when you should or shouldn't use your travel rewards. And how will cities and countries function in the future? One convention imagines what they'll be like. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. NerdWallet has released its annual report on airline mile values. 
American Airlines, Delta, Southwest, and Frontier tied for the best airlines for holiday reward travel based on their value of their points. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. According to NerdWallet's analysis, the highest baseline value for miles spent on holiday flights was 1.4 cents per mile. The report advises travelers to not use points when they're worth less than one cent per mile. Jen Ruiz is a full-time travel blogger, writer, and content creator. She's traveled to more than 35 countries, mostly using limited budgets. It is absolutely a good rule of thumb. So having that one cent figure should be the minimum, especially because you can get much more than one cent per mile. You can get one and a half, you know, two cents per mile kind of thing. And that's more where the extreme travel hackers aim for to get as much as possible from every single mile. Ruiz will not spend more than $1,000 on a flight anywhere. She's flown to countries like New Zealand for $38, Ecuador for $16, and Aruba for $70 with points and miles. But she says travelers shouldn't hoard their points just for the sake of saving them. Sometimes you might sit on points and never use them. And so it's better to at least use the points, like that's kind of what they're there for. And so if you can use that to offset the cost of otherwise really exorbitant holiday travel, I recommend doing so. Ruiz recommends considering budget airlines and different departure and arrival airports. She says travelers should also think about co-branded credit cards. I do have several credit cards myself, so I have about a dozen or so. Um, all of my credit cards are travel credit cards because I love to travel. So for me, things like cash back or any other rewards pale in comparison to points and miles that you can redeem for free flights. As the holidays approach, travelers will continue to look for ways to save, especially amid severely high inflation. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The Smart Country Convention in Berlin lays out a blueprint for future countries and cities. Here's the story. Wind turbines towering high, trains arriving on time. A highlight exhibit at this year's Smart Country Convention. This Lego city is a miniature of more efficient urban living. It was built by Fiware, an open source platform dedicated to smart solutions for the future. Now every single second we generate data, massive data, but we don't uh, use data in a proper way. So in the future, if we have some clever platform and we put our real-time data into the platform, and we can use some like AI algorithm to uh, decide what should we do for next steps by using this platform and by using our real-time real data and the historic data, it, it would be very fantastic. German company Einstadt, or One City, is presenting its near-field communication chip system. These round badges can be attached anywhere, like playgrounds, benches, and trees. Users don't have to scroll around in the app anymore, but they have to touch the chip and straight away the form opens for the tree or the playground toy, for example. On top of that, citizens can play a role themselves in reporting faulty equipment. They can touch the button with their private smartphone and, for example, report a faulty streetlight. 
The company has already run a pilot project in a small town and is hoping to expand to other cities soon. Across the showroom, Stuttgart-based Violytics is showcasing a system for analyzing roads. A camera is attached to a car, and when it drives around a city, the camera takes photos of the roads. Every four meters, a photo is taken, and this part of the street is analyzed for damage, potholes, cracks. They get noticed and described. And then entire road networks can be analyzed and a plan for repairs can be made. Other exhibitors include startup Urban Energy and their Zero C system, which allows companies to quickly calculate their carbon footprint. Smart Country Convention is Europe's leading congress for e-government, the digitalization of local governments and cities. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you on Monday.